We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, so if you would open your Bibles. I'm going to read part of that chapter. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13 and then take it from 37 to the end of the chapter. There are 47 verses, so it's, it's a longer chapter. So Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled a whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as, as anyone had need. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You can be seated. So as we're entering into this year of, of prayer, what we're doing in Acts is a simple chapter-by-chapter chapter study, 28 chapters, 28 studies. And what I'm asking you to do, if you would, is to make this journey with me by this week, one, at least one time a day, maybe a couple times, that you would read the next chapter that we that we have in there. So then I'm going to come and I'm going to deliver to you that which I also received from the Lord. So I'm going to share with you some of my thoughts. So this is not going to be an exhaustive study of Acts by any means, but we're going to be focusing in on prayer. The emphasis will be on prayer in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is filled with the aroma of prayer. Prayer was the church, the early church, and Jesus said what? My house shall be called a house of prayer. So we want to be that house of prayer, amen? We know the importance. We understand its power. We also have on our app our CCS app, a prayer wall, which I would encourage you to visit. It's really cool. So you can post a prayer or you can go to it and pray for one of those prayers on there. And then you hit this little button that says, I prayed for this. And it's tallying how many times that was prayed for. So I say, let's multiply that out. Amen. Post your prayers or go to the CCF app and, and, and pray for those that are on there. So I, I want to share with you just my heart as I ended last week with. I'm not interested in going through this year talking about prayer, talking about hearing and responding to God. Talk will get me nowhere. To talk about it is one thing, but what Jesus said when asked, teach us to pray, he said, when you pray. So we want to give ourselves to prayer. It will do me absolutely no good to talk about it. I must be doing it. So my prayer is that we, should the Lord tarry, will experience a year of praying, of hearing and responding to God, that will shake loose the chains of sin, selfishness, death, and hell. That we are taking the time to quiet our minds and slow down our lives to engage with God in meaningful, life-changing prayer, 
supplication and intercession from which I pray myself and you too, from which we will carry on until Jesus returns, that we will be a people of prayer. We'll exercise ourselves in that. And that will only happen by making decisions that will keep us aimed at the goal. You aim at nothing, you will hit it. Seldom you, do you hit what you don't aim for. So could I solicit you this morning, and after each service, at least at this point, I want to do something that we would say to the Lord again, week by week, Lord, I'm yours. I want to spend time with you this week. Help me. So last week as this week, the end song, I had you sitting. And then as we're singing that final song, during it, just to stand before the Lord together, eventually all of us, as the Lord would lead, just stand and say, Lord, I'm yours this week. I need you. I know I need to be praying. And so, Lord, I want to pray and spend time in your word this week, so help me with that. So if we can take this year just week by week and hear and respond to God, and I want to continue to encourage you with that. On Tuesdays, I'm going to be, I already did this week, I'm going to send out uh, an all-church email just to encourage you in praying. Because I know that you know, and you know that I know, that we understand the importance of prayer. It just becomes the thing that's most difficult to discipline ourselves in. And I think the main reason for that is the devil doesn't want us praying. He does not want us praying. So Paul in Ephesians 6, talking about spiritual warfare, he gives this 10, 11-verse run-on sentence about we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. He said, therefore, take up the whole arm of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And he goes in this whole thing, and he ends that whole thing sort of capturing what he said before by praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. This morning, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about hearing from our wonderful God. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. So hearing and responding. So if you are not on our CCS uh, database, I want to encourage you to fill out one of those connection cards, put your email on it, and you will, be re- you will receive the emails that I'll be sending out. Also, I, wanted, I, didn't, I, wanted, I didn't want to forget to remind you, if you haven't filled out a prayer request for this year, this bowl is that. There are some prayer requests right in the front. If you haven't filled one out, I want to encourage you to do that. We're going to pray for these prayer requests throughout the year, and then at the end of the year, we're going to say, Lord, thank you. We prayed for those five or six times each privately, but at our hour of prayer. So if you haven't done that, please. And then tonight, I want to give you something that's on my heart. And I have, it's so confirmed to me from some conversations, mainly with Pastor John, what the Lord is, is really, I think, putting on my heart for us. So I hope you'll come tonight because I want to also add something as far as what we're going to be doing this year, what we're going to be leaving, be believing God for. And that also has to do, obviously, with prayer. So are you with me? Okay. Now, waiting with great anticipation was last week, hearing from our wonderful God, Acts chapter 2. Number one, hearing his wonderful works. And that's what the Holy Spirit through these utterances was declaring, the wonderful works of God, verses 1 through 13. Now, it it says there, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Now, I had originally in my notes to sort of Run through those feasts, but we just don't have the time. If you would like my notes, I'm happy to send them to you. But the feasts, seven feasts, Leviticus 23 lays them out chronologically. They're talked about in the Old Testament several ways. But Leviticus 23 lays them out chronologically. Here are the seven feasts. There are four spring and three three fall feasts that God instituted with his people. And they are a prophetic picture of Jesus Christ. And it's fantastic. This is the fourth one of the spring feast, the feast of of Pentecost, 50 days. Pentecost means 50 days. So this was celebrated as the first fruits, the ingathering. So on the day of Pentecost, we're going to see, as we read, this ingathering, the birth of the church, where God then births his church. It starts with those in the upper room. It goes to 3,000 people. He births the church, the ingathering that's continuing until this day. God is still gathering his fruit. And so Jesus said, lift up your eyes. The fields are already white to harvest. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest that he may send 
laborers in the fields. It's the labor that we are called to do is bringing the gospel message to the world that people might be gathered in by the Holy Spirit. And I say, amen. If you're here and you don't know, you haven't been gathered in yet, I want to tell you, you're missing out to the greatest experience, the most important decision you'll ever make, and that's to come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ, be reconciled to God, have your sins forgiven, know that when you die, you're going to go to heaven, know that you're part of this thing called the church, which is an amazing thing. It's an an organism that's alive and powerful through the Holy Spirit. So, amen. amen. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, they're, they're all waiting they're praying, they're anticipating something happening, and indeed it did. We just read about it. Suddenly there comes a sound from heaven. They're hearing and seeing supernatural manifestations. These supernatural phenomena accompanying the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church. The first one is suddenly there came a sound from heaven and of a rushing mighty wind. It sounded probably like a tornado or a freight train, this sound. And it filled the whole house. Now, it was a sound. It wasn't actually a wind where they were sitting. Second manifestation. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of them. So it's this amazing thing that happens where there's these tongues of fire sitting on them. The third manifestation, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 4, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So suddenly they're speaking as prompted By the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now this word in the Greek means unknown tongues. Fascinating experience. Unknown to those who spoke them. Those who spoke them did not understand them. They were speaking other languages. Actually the word is dialects. They had never learned. Wow. No wonder they're confused. Those speaking were all Galileans, and they're speaking at least listed 15 different languages. What are they talking about? What are they hearing? The wonderful works of God. And you can imagine, there's so many, there's no way they could use up their languages declaring them. So they're all amazed and marveled, verses 7 through 11. Of these three phenomena, a sound from heaven, divided tongues as of fire, and speaking with other tongues, only one was repeated. And that, on a few occasions, we'll see as we go through the book of Acts, this speaking in tongues. This occurrence is a -a one-of-a-kind happening in birthing the church. It is unique in that they were all speaking with other tongues, and they were being understood. That's the uniqueness partly of it. The many languages that those were from every nation under heaven, we read in the text. They would hear and understand in their own language these wonderful works of God. So... The gift of tongues itself, which we'll talk about in later studies as we go through Acts. The gift of tongues, the Holy Spirit has several gifts given to the church. We believe they are still for today, all of them. Given for us and given for today to edify the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ, to edify ourselves. One of those is the gift of tongues. The other one spoken more frequently than others is the gift of prophecy. Now, the the gift of prophecy is speaking is foretelling or foretelling. It can be prophetic in telling the future, or it is also, which I believe is exercised when the Bible is being taught, it's the foretelling of God's word. He's speaking something, and we always know that it's him when it's his word. So when I'm teaching, I know that there's that prophetic part of God's word and other things. There's also at times that God does and did in the book of Acts, that foretelling of the future. So the gift of tongues... Again, we can't get into this in this study. But the gift of tongues and prophecy are explained in the book of Corinthians, mainly chapter 14, where Paul's talking about really 12 through 14. So in tongues, the initial evidence is that, the initial evidence, this is a question that comes up, is the speaking in tongues the initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit? In other words... If I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I will speak in tongues. The scriptures are clear that that answer to that is no. It is not the initial evidence. In the book of Acts, it's mentioned with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2.4, in 10.44-46, and in 19.6. It's mentioned, yes, that did accompany it, but it's also not mentioned at other times when the Spirit was poured out. Acts 4, 8, 
And then in 1 Corinthians explaining some of those things. Do all speak in tongues? Paul asked in Corinthians. It was a rhetorical question. And the answer to that was the same as the other questions he was asking. Do all speak in tongues? No. And so, can I hear an amen on that? If you don't agree with that, I'm okay with that. But I'm saying scripturally, I don't think that we can say that. Now, what my wife experienced in the church that she went to growing up was a pressure to speak in tongues because they believe the initial evidence was speaking in tongues. And so, listen, God wants to give us all that we desire. And Paul said, earnestly desire the gifts, but I tell you a more excellent way. Paul, again, clearly says that. So God's not pressuring us to take his gifts, but he wants to give us these gifts if we are receptive to them. I believe many people that don't believe in the gifts have no idea, but they're operating in them. They're operating in them. I know preachers who did not believe in the gifts, yet when they would speak, it's like God was speaking to me. That's the Holy Spirit. That's a prophetic thing. So all that to say, I speak in tongues. I believe in the gift. I receive the gift. And the way I received the gift, I didn't know anything about the gift. I didn't know anything about anything. I came back to the Lord in Costa Mesa. Someone came up and said, do you speak in tongues? I said, I don't even know what tongues is. He said, well, here it is. So he gave me this little pamphlet. I said, I want everything God's got for me. So I went to my room. I prayed, and the Lord gave me that gift. By faith. The gift of tongues. I have a study that I do. Speaking in tongues, let's clear up the confusion. Let's clear up the confusion. And so if, if, if in going through that, and it's just, then okay, it's okay it's, if you don't. I do. I believe the Lord for it. I exercise it. Paul said, I speak in tongues more than they all, yet I would rather that you speak in prophecy because speaking in prophecy, you're speaking people can understand it. So that's my little spiel on that. <laughs> now, what are the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Other evidences. Number one, praise to God. I love it. Another one is overflowing joy that we find in the Scriptures as far as what's evidence. Another one is a deep burden to witness for Christ and how we need that from the Holy Spirit. We need that praise and we need joy and we need a burden for lost people. So if I don't have that, I say, Holy Spirit, would you give me that burden? Would you help me? Would you release me? Would you give me that boldness, which is what the Holy Spirit, he comes to give us that boldness. But listen, the evidence of the fullness of the Holy Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Let me define that for you as Paul does to the Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is love, Galatians 5.22, which equals joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I need the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? You need the Holy Spirit. Paul in Corinthians 13, 12, he says, I show you, earnestly, but I show you a more excellent way. Talks all about the gifts, 12 and 14. Right in the middle, he says, but here's the more excellent way. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. In other words, without love, all the gifts, all the manifestations, all the, quote, spirituality is with, of no substance because the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's me loving people more and more and more. And thus I say, I need the Holy Spirit. I need this fruit, and fruit is a result of relationship. So we need this relationship, which I'll talk about in a moment, with the Holy Spirit. And we need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So they're all amazed and perplexed. Look at verse 12. Now that word amazed means intellectual ignorance. They did not know. They were amazed. And perplexed. Now what that means is intellectual defeat. They knew they didn't know. They had no answer. Saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Now, the third thing here is others mocking, which means they didn't want to know. And what did they say? They are full of new wine. They're drunk. Now, their conclusion was half right. They were under the influence, but not of alcohol. They were under the influence of the Holy Spirit, powerfully. Ephesians 5.8 says... Do not be drunk with wine in which is excess. Do not be drunk with wine in which is excess. But be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an ongoing, continuous, present tense. So we are to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, I wanna, I'll close this study by talking about how does that happen? What do I look for? How do I do that? 
I want to talk about three relationships that we have with the Holy Spirit. First, let's go through our text, flying over it. Now, it says, hearing not only of his wonderful works, but then hearing from his wonderful word. Can I hear an amen? We love the word. Peter stands up with the 11, verse 14. Men in Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's early in the morning. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. I love that. This is what the Bible says. This is what Joel prophesied in the Old Testament. So whatever phenomena might be happening in our midst, if we are to embrace it as from the Spirit, we must be able to explain it from the Scriptures. If we're going to embrace it as from the Spirit, we must explain it from the Scriptures. In other words, anything else, I'm not interested personally. Every spiritual manifestation must have solid scriptural basis. If not, we are dancing around on dangerous ground. And there's been manifestations in the church that were very weird. Paul said, if an unbeliever comes into your assembly and you're all speaking in tongues, they have no idea what you're saying. They're going to leave thinking you're, you're mad, you're insane. In other words, God is not weird. Can you hear an amen? God's not looking to manifest. And also, God is not looking to draw attention to us. He wants us to give all the glory to him. And so any manifestation that can't be explained scripturally, I'm not saying there aren't things that God does that I don't understand. He does. But as far as the doctrine and the practice of the church, capital C, we must have scriptural basis for the manifestations or the things that we are doing. We must not allow experience to be the final authority. The word of God must be the final and the final and the final authority. And I know that you harmonize with me. You agree with that. That's why I love talking to you and being a part of this family. We love the word of God. We know it is the thing that God's given to us upon which all doctrine and all practices are to be anchored. So there will always be winds of doctrine that blow through the church. There will be those trickeries of men that seek attention for themselves. There will be those cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, which are from the devil himself. Jesus said he's a liar, has been from the beginning. The devil has his counterfeit prophets. He's got his counterfeit miracles. He does all those things. So may the Lord help us to continue to understand God tells us clearly how these things, these gifts of the Spirit are to operate. And so this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, let's, let's read verse 17. Through 21. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are living in the last days. But let me tell you the extent of the last days. 2,000 plus years and running. What, what Peter tells us here is that according to this prophecy, Pentecost includes the last days, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. It will continue the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord right through the great tribulation period. That's the last days, 2,000 years and running. I'd encourage you, I'll read the first two, to read Joel chapter 2. But here's the first two verses. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land, listen, tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. For it is at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Now that is not what's going on in the upper room here with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at this point. The phrase, the day of the Lord, occurs often in the Old Testament. Many prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Zephaniah, and Malachi. And if you read these, what they say about the day of the Lord, maybe you can do a search, quote, unquote, the day of the Lord, and then have your computer find it, you will find that it's not fun by any stretch. 
Amos says this, 518, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord, for what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. The day of the Lord is God's wrath being poured out. The last days include from Pentecost onward. And so during this time, there's tribulation in, in the, the last day, the great tribulation. But during this time, the last, there is this impending uh, wrath of God, his judgment on planet earth, but also for us of salvation and grace through Jesus Christ. So that's why he said, verse 21, it shall come to pass that whoever believes in the name of the Lord shall be saved. There will be people being saved out of the great tribulation. God's not done with his plan. He's got a great plan. He's continuing to work it out. We're a part of that plan. We're in the last days, and we look with, with anticipation, but there is this urgency that one day God is going to come, and the tribulation will come. His wrath will be, be poured out, and you read Revelation, you say, that's not going to be very fun. We are not appointed to wrath. We will escape the wrath of God, and I say, thank you, Lord Jesus, you paid the penalty. I stand in your righteousness. I'm yours and yours alone. You sealed me. You're going to come and complete that redemption by taking me up to be with you. And so shall I ever be with the Lord. There is a rapture coming. Lots of things that go in with this passage. So then the, the third thing here is hearing about his wonderful son. And that's what Peter now does. He directs the whole sermon to Jesus Christ. There are no better sermons that one ones that are filled with Jesus Christ. What does he talk to them about? First of all, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know. So what's he telling them? He's telling about his nature. He's the infinite God-man. He's telling about his life, the miraculous life he lived because of who he is. He talks about his death, verse 23. Him... Jesus being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. This is a plan of God. But notice, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. You are responsible for crucifying Christ. But not only they, we also. We sang that song, how deep the Father's love for us. In that, behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders, ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. God had a plan on the cross to, to, to answer our need, our greatest need. He talks then in verses 24 through 32 about his resurrection, that it was impossible for death to hold him. David prophesied about him. David was dead and gone. Jesus was, was buried for three days, but he rose again. So David was pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. He would rise from the dead, all pro prophetic in Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. He also talks in verses 33 through 36, his ascension and exaltation. He is both Lord and Christ. So these are all things that are included in his sermon, all about Jesus, his wonderful son. Finally, hearing about his wonderful plan, and that plan is salvation. That plan is salvation. So in verses 37 through the end, 47, his salvation, first of all, that you be saved from your sin. That's God's plan for you. He, would, he has given his son that you might be saved. If you are not saved, I pray, we pray as believers in this room that today will be your day of salvation, your day when you meet Jesus. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men, what shall we do? Peter preached Listen, the Holy Spirit convicted them of sin. That's what Jesus said would happen. Holy Spirit's important. So it wasn't Peter's great oratory. It was him sticking to the word, preaching it. The Holy Spirit is working in their lives of those 3,000 to bring them to saving faith in Christ. They re realized they were guilty. They realized that it was their sin that crucified Christ. And so Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. So first he says that you might be saved from your sin. How does that happen? Repentance. Repentance. Repentance is a great word. But it only makes any meaning to it when I do it. 
So to repent means to turn from the direction I'm going, which in this case for the sinner is away from God and rebellion to God, an enemy of God, and saying, I now know that I want to get that right. And so repentance is I'm going to turn around because I need God. I want to walk with God. I want to know it. That's repentance. For the believer, it's the same thing. It's a great word, but not if it's not practiced. And we need to be continually coming, like John said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right. We need that turn. How many of you would say amen to that? I hope you all will. Amen. We need every day to be bringing ourselves to realizing I'm going a little bit off kilter here, a little bit off the, the, the trajectory that I know I need to be on, and I need to bring myself. That's why I want to encourage us again, each of us. We need time in the word to silence our hearts and minds to say, Lord, would you speak to me? Search my heart. See if there's any wicked way in it and lead me in the way of everlasting. We need time in the Bible and in prayer. So he says, repent and be forgiven for your sins. I love this, this uh, translation of Acts 2.38. Change your mind and your life. Turn right around and do it now. You crucified this Jesus, now crown him in your hearts as Lord and Christ. How? Repent. Receive forgiveness. Be baptized. And we're going to have a baptism on Easter Sunday. It's April 1st, but there's no fooling. We're really doing it. Easter Sunday is on April Fool's Day. But let me tell you, Jesus rising from the dead was not April Fool's. It was reality. We're going to baptize. So if you haven't been baptized as a believer, you should be baptized. I would count it a privilege to myself or someone else be a part of your baptism. It's just a public confession, a public um, testimony that you are walking with Christ. So if you haven't been baptized... April 1st, that's Sunday, Easter Sunday. We'll have three services that morning. And we're not, by the way, just if you don't know, we're not going to have Saturday night. We're going to have just Sunday on Easter weekend. Okay, so that's what's going to happen. But we're going to have three services, shorter. So be baptized. And then notice what he says, verse 38. You shall receive, notice, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Simon will get this later on in Acts. He tried to buy the Spirit power. He sees it operating and says, here's some money. Can I give you some money to buy that power? And Peter said, your heart's not right with God. You can't buy the power of God. It's his power. That also, it's not my power. It's his power. The Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit is God's gift to us to guide us, teach us, and empower us to do the things that God's called us to do. So God's never going to give me a commandment but that he doesn't enable me to do it. Jesus said, without me, you can do some things. He said, without me, you can do nada. And what he was saying there is in conjunction with that chapter in John of the Holy Spirit, our relationship with the Holy Spirit as the vine and the branches. We need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So this gift of the Holy Spirit was given to us. Now, his wonderful plan, his salvation, that you be saved from your sins. Secondly, verses 40 and 41, that you be added, listen, you be added to the ranks of the redeemed. I love it. That your life become a part of God's redeemed people. So verse 40, with many other words he testified, exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Wow, what, a, what an in-gathering the first, on that first day. Preaching the word, 3,000 people came to know Christ. Now, tonight I want to talk a little bit more about that as far as what's on our hearts. We want to see lots of people coming to Jesus Christ right in this room and in this building. From the youngest to the oldest, seeing the Holy Spirit move. Because Peter preached repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit is the one who does all the work of regenerating a life, of redeeming people, sealing them, and saying, you belong to God. You can be assured of that. I know whom I believe, persuade he's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. The thing I've committed to God is my life. He can keep me. He will keep me. He's given me his Holy Spirit. So, yeah, okay. One, you've been, that you be saved, his plan. You be added to the ranks of the redeemed. And then three, that you continue steadfastly in four things as the church. This is a key passage that is a part of the DNA of Calvary chapels and should be of all churches. Notice, four things. And if these four things are spoken here, they are of the Holy Spirit. They're not only for them, they're for the church, capital C. Four things. The apostles' doctrine, we're going to stay in the word of God. Fellowship, we're going to stay in one accord. We're going to endeavor to keep this unity growing together as his family. Three, the breaking of bread, that could be the communion, which we'll take today. Or it could be just having a meal, a love feast. And then finally, and, and 
no less importance, even though it's the last one. In fact, it's maybe more important because he ends there, and prayer. Continuing in these four things. Then fear came upon every soul, verse 43. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them all as anyone had need. Now, this is not a fifth thing for the church. There are four things. This fifth thing is, I believe, a spontaneous decision born out of sincere excitement for what God was doing and it's, it's not something that we're commanded to do. It's never taught in the rest of the Bible. It's never even mentioned in any of the other churches. So it's interesting. One of the very first problems that arose was over this issue. We see this in Acts 5. Ananias and Sapphira sold their property. They had the money for it. They come to Peter and the apostles and say, hey, we sold it for this amount. And they had sold it for a lot more. But they lied to Peter. And Peter said, you've lied to God. And his wife was the first one to come in and lie, and she was smitten right there. Later on, he comes in, asks him the same question. He lies the same way, and he drops. Now, I believe that this is God working initially in keeping purity in the church. But what Peter said to them, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own to control? In other words, this is something, the decision that we make with our things. So, first thing is there's an issue that comes up with Ananias and Sapphira. The next problem in the church has to do with, a, with their distribution, their welfare system to the church. And then finally, the church in Jerusalem became basically bankrupt. Paul had to go around and get an offering for them. So, I don't believe that this is something at all that we're called to do, though it's very, it's, it, they did it. And I think that God honors our sincere choices in order to teach us, and we learn things through can, can you say amen? We learn things through our mistakes, things that happen. We see, okay, this is the result. Well, that wasn't, maybe that wasn't something I should have done. God says, yeah, that may be, but don't worry, I'm still with you. Okay? So they continue also the fourth thing, daily in one accord. Verse 46, they continue with that. Now, here's, I, I want to bring this to a close a little bit. The same Holy Spirit wants to work in our fellowship here as he did in the early church with supernatural manifestations of what God wants to do and God can do. I believe that the Bible teaches three relationships with the Holy Spirit. The first one is with you. That is before you're saved. Jesus said he was with you and will be in you to his disciples. So before we're saved, Jesus explained this. The Holy Spirit will convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the Holy Spirit hasn't left you who are not saved today. He is with you, and if you're getting convicted, if you're uncomfortable, if you're getting a little squirmy here, that's not my problem or my doing. That's the Holy Spirit, and you now have a problem with him. It can be solved very easily, may I say, by simply acknowledging that he is God. He's the person of the, Holy, of God, the Godhead, and he loves you, and he's doing these things because he wants you to turn so that you can be saved. So the first relationship is with us. At conversion, at salvation, he is in us. Paul, Jesus said he will be with you, to the disciples, he is with you, he will be in you. After his resurrection, it says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said for them to receive the Holy Spirit, I'm of the mind that they received the Holy Spirit. They were saved, born again at that point. But then he said to them, the third relationship, tarry in Jerusalem, for the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, epi, will come upon you. So we need this ongoing upon relationship, this ongoing under the influence of the Holy Spirit relationship as believers. Ephesians 5.18, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's with us before conversion, in us at conversion, and upon us either at conversion or subsequent to conversion. As I read Ephesians 5.18, my prayer is, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Now, how is it that we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? I, I'll give you my simple ABCs. First of all, Jesus said, how much will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who really work hard so that you deserve it? To those who ask. He said, 
You know how to give good gifts and you're evil. How much more will your father give? And he names one gift, the person of the Holy Spirit. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So ask up in prayer. Believing God. Two. Two. Believe in the promise. Can I hear an amen? We must believe what God said he will do. He has done. Not he will do. He has done it. When I pray, and I'm, I'm saying to you, as best as I know, I'm, my heart's right with God. I've gone through all those things. I've, I've done the best I can to know I'm right with God. I want to be examined. I ask up in prayer, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I believe in the promise that when he says in asking we'll receive, that I'm going to ask and I'm going to receive the, the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And three then is carry on in the power. In other words, keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Keep living life, knowing that the Holy Spirit is upon you. You've asked for that. And then walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the deal. God, the Holy Spirit, will always back up obedience. When I make my choices to be obedient to God, I can count on God backing it up with the power of his Holy Spirit. He's never going to call me to do something for which he doesn't also enable me. That's why he said, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that this would help you to understand. Because there are times, I can tell you, there are times when I just sense the Holy Spirit is upon me. And those are fun times. And you've had those experiences. You're talking to someone, and all of a sudden you just have this sense like God's speaking. And you're having this interaction with someone. Or either you're speaking or they're speaking to you. And there are times when I'm teaching, I say, the Holy Spirit is moving here in a, in a sort of a special way. Somehow he's speaking. He's wanting to do these things. So as I say, I'm just going to carry on, sometimes it has those tingles. But let me tell you, most of the time, I'm not aware of that. And so I pray and ask, Lord, Lord just give me a the conscious awareness that I need your Holy Spirit. And I'm dialoguing all the time. I need your Holy Spirit. I believe that you're going to teach me and guide me and re- bring things to remembrance. I believe that you're going to help me. He's called the helper. I believe you're also going to comfort me. He's called the comforter. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, working and moving in them through, through just normal living, going at things with a simple understanding of these things. So it's a simple as ABC, as far as walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, believing God and walking. We walk by what? Faith, not by sight. Couple, some closing meditations in delivering to you that which I also received from the Lord. And I'll just close with this, and we'll have, I want to give a Jesus call to anyone, and then I want, we're going to take communion together, and then we'll close and just standing for the Lord for this week alone. Here are my musings, if you will. The supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit is quite fascinating to me. There is a sound of a great wind, but no one gets blown away. There's an appearance of tongues of fire, but no one gets burned. There is the speaking in other tongues, but no screaming and yelling. In all of this, there was not a great tearing apart of the house. There was not an earthquake shaking them out of their seats. There was not a roaring fire from which those in the house fled. There was no screaming and shouting. The fascinating thing is what is absent in these things. This event, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, no doubt startled those who were waiting in that room. They began to hear the sound. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in other tongues. But the end result, listen, this is what ministered to me so much. The end result was God was able to speak to people about his wonderful works. God, through these, was speaking of his wonderful works. They couldn't understand that, but they were hearing it. So the simplicity is astounding. And when Peter's explaining what had just happened from the scriptures, that God promised to pour out the Holy Spirit on all flesh, what would happen? Prophecy. God wants to speak to people. Dreams and visions. God wants to speak to us so that we would speak to people. It's as though God is saying, All I want is your attention. I'm not going to yell and scream. All I want to do is talk to you. All I want to do is tell you about the wonderful things that I've done for you. And so God's saying, I'm not going to blow you away. I'm not going to pick you up and shake sense into you. I'm not wanting to make you sweat and make you squirm. I'm not out to burn you. All I want is a chance to talk to you in your language. 
about the wonderful things that I have for you. As Peter stands to talk and as others in the book of Acts stand to talk, all they wanted was a chance to tell people about Jesus. See, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, there were miraculous healings. There were miraculous things that were happening. There were those who were raised from the dead. But it did not end with those. They always gave God, through his people, another chance to get their attention so that he could speak to them. The wonderful works that he had done for them. There's also a great gentleness in my mind as I look at this. Startling but gentle. I think of Elijah, so totally discouraged, running from Jezebel, making his way out into the desert. And the angel of the Lord all the way along kept him fed and going. He gets them days later to the court cave at Horeb, which Pastor Lowell talked about. And there, it's as though God was saying, Elijah, I just want to talk to you. In that still, small voice passage. When Peter denied Jesus, and Jesus in that move, moving verse for me, Peter denies him three times, just like Jesus said he would. Most sure I say to you before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, no way. Jesus said, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he does it. And right after he does it, Jesus being tried before him. Peter denies the rooster And Peter, stunned, broken, Jesus looked at him. And I think what he's saying is, Peter, I want to talk to you, but you've got to wait three days. You have to wait till I rise again. I'm going to talk to you again. You heard what I said. I was right, wasn't I? Peter goes, and that's exactly what Jesus did. He had a private meeting with Peter. And then he had the public one in restoring him with the disciples. See, God is simply wanting through the power of the Holy Spirit to get people's attention so that he can talk to them through us. He can tell them all about his wonderful works and son. It's not that somehow we have to be like Abraham and come out with our faces shining. Or like Moses and part the Red Sea. Or like David and slay some giant. Or like Gideon and take on an army that's a zillion times more than we could ever even handle. Look at the ministry of Jesus, the son of God. The sinful woman in Simon, you just want to talk to her. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven you. And that's what God wants to tell people through his son. Zacchaeus lodged up, in, lodged up in the sycamore tree because there's a man of short stature. He's one of my favorites. And he climbs up and says, hey, Zacchaeus, would you come down? I just want to talk to you. Nicodemus, the Pharisee, ruler of the Jews, who came to Jesus by night. And he was wanting to talk and interact. He, Jesus had his attention and Jesus said, I just want to talk to you. And so goes the list through the scriptures. The woman caught in adultery, Jesus saying, I just want to talk to you. Where are your accusers? So Jesus' gentle ways of getting people's attention that he could speak to them about our God and his wonderful works, the children of men. How does he do that? It might be your finances. It might be your skills. It might be your training. It might be your vocation. But here's the deal. In many of these things, you speak the same language as someone else. You know their language. And God just wants to get their attention at your job, in school, to get their attention so that you, he can speak to them about his works and his son and his word through you, through me. It might be that you've suffered and God's comforted you. And here comes someone who is suffering. And you speak their language. You know their language. He's bringing them to you so that you can speak to them about his wonderful works, his wonderful son. Another thing I thought of is it might be you failed like Peter and God restored you. And here comes someone who failed. You speak their language. We speak their language. And God wants to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to get their attention so that he can speak to them through you, through me, about his wonderful plan for them. It might be that you've been lost excuse me, lonely and alone. There are a lot of people in our world today, though all the noise of everything going around that are very lonely and very alone, here comes one. And you speak their language. You've been there. You understand that. Of course, the one that's certainly true, that all of us were lost in sin. We know that language. We know what that is. 
It is certainly true that God sought us and saved us. And he's calling us to be his voice to other people. Get their attention and share with them about the wonderful plan that God has for their life in salvation. And I think the main way that the Lord gets people's attention, in fact, I know this, is the cross. We're going to take communion in a moment here. It's the cross. Centered in every message that we do and all our, in all of our praying for people and then as God gives on is the cross of Jesus Christ where he died for your sin and my sin. Paul said, God forbid I should preach anything but the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is central to the gospel message. It's so clear, clear and so powerful. It's this universal language that speaks of unselfish, sacrificial love that every sinner needs to hear. And that everyone, every saint needs to appreciate to a greater degree. And thus, we're going to take communion in a moment. But before we do, would you, believers in the room, just bow your heads, close your eyes, and would you pray now? Because I want to give this opportunity for the Holy Spirit to bring someone in this room to repentance and salvation through the gospel. So Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. It's really important. If you deny me before me, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. It's the most important decision that you'll ever make. And so in responding to God, hearing that, these things and responding to God is where you will find salvation. You must make that choice. God's done everything he can for you. He's, he put his son on the cross to die for your sin. He was buried. He rose again the third day for your salvation. He's ascended now at the right hand of God, waiting to redeem you and bring you home. So I'm going to ask three simple things. The first one is that you just raise your hand so that I can acknowledge you. Because I want to pray for you. So if you want today to receive salvation through Jesus Christ, through repentance, acknowledging your sin, confessing it to God, asking God to forgive you, saying to Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior, and then receiving the Holy Spirit, being born again, you will walk out of here a different person in Christ. So if that's you, you're not right with God. You don't know that you've been in, you're in the ranks of the redeemed. You don't know what's going to happen when you die. That's why it's the most important decision that you'll ever make, bar none. So as we're praying, brothers and sisters in the Lord, if you need to get right with God, would you please just slip up your hand, leave that up so I can see that, acknowledge you, pray for you as you get, then stand to go to one of the tables on the side and there make your public confession of Jesus Christ. Anyone here, we're praying. We're praying. So in closing our service, we're going to take communion. And these emblems that you're going to receive, the bread and the cup, are just that. They're emblems. But they're reminding us of the cross and what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. His body broken for us. His blood shed for us. And God now gives us this new covenant, this new relationship with him by faith in the gospel, in what he's accomplished for us. So when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. Literally means the debt's paid. Your debt's paid. My debt's paid. So when I come in communion and I hold these emblems, I'm just saying, God, thank you. So let's worship together as those emblems are passed out. And then I will lead us through them briefly, and then we'll close in the song.